Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Picking up the Batphone this week is Australia's resident professional wrestling superstar. He's been all over the world. He's come back to Adelaide. He's come back to Perth. He's come back to his home. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Ocean Neal. Thanks, man. <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> AKA Damien Slater. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I always said Ocean Neal died on the uh, dance floor of Myanmar about five years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Just that one statement <laughs> leads me into this line of thinking, like, what the fuck kind yeah, of story yeah. is that? Yeah, this is, this is the, the world we live in. This is the wrestling industry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the wrestling industry. Oh, man, look, I, you know... Right at the beginning of the podcast, I always put people over, man. Like, I have been a legitimate fan of yours for a very long time, and I've got a really good reason to. You've got, like, a this hybrid, eclectic style that has come from across the globe. You know, mm. whether it's a high-flying style, a matte technical style, really solid grounding in the fundamentals of the craft. Uh, and I think that comes through in your teachings as well as what you've been doing recently. Sure. But at the same time, you know, you really have traveled to accrue mm-hmm. those skills. You know, you've trained here you've, you've the work ethic that you accrued here like Russell rampage dojo as it was zero one and that has really shone through and i think that the professionalism and respect that you've shown to everyone through the industry as you've been growing has led to this situation where you're now one of the most trusted figures in australian professional wrestling and what you're doing is true industry leading behavior it's the first time i've ever seen someone really put out the type of content that you're putting out with world banter it's Mm. it's business it's uh ring craft it's leadership it's behavioral you're really speaking to the new breed of australian professional wrestlers on a level that yes that they can understand but that they should be understanding as well and i think that's bred a lot of yeah a lot of trust for you so the reason for me being a fan of yours has just sort of gone from strength to strength. And look, you're a student of the game as well. You you came to me to mm. want to learn a little bit more about jiu-jitsu and grappling before you went off uh, to the Cruiserweight Classic in the WWE. And that, you know, that showed me a lot about your character and the type of person that you are. Not just being a student of one game, but a student of all grappling as well. And, and that really speaks to me specifically because mm. I, I love the history of grappling, the history of catch wrestling, the history of jiu-jitsu, judo, whatever it might be, even, you know, Greco-Roman freestyle wrestling or cultural wrestling, historic, ancient wrestling, like that really to me is fascinating. It's interesting. I'm biased Mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. So to me, you're like the current uh, embodiment. You're like the modern day embodiment of where that lineage came to and now you're at the forefront of progressing professional wrestling in Australia. And, you know... Enough could be said about that, but you're from South Australia, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more biased yeah, in yeah, that yeah. regard. But you know, thank you very much for coming on. No today, worries, man. I well, appreciate it. How have you been going? Good man. What an introduction! <laughs> How do I follow that? That's um, yeah, no, I've been, I've been great. I've, I've been in um, Perth for close to five years now, uh, which was a decision not based on, on business or, or anything like that. It was just my wife who's um, from Perth. Okay. So yeah. We made the choice to move over. But the, the Perth scene's always been thriving uh, since even when, when I started close to 20 years ago. It was it just ha- always had a lot of potential. There were always a lot of eyes on Perth. But at the same time, South Australia's always had this kind of unofficial home of pro wrestling tag. Um, so, yeah, coming from South Australia, like you said, like we have had 
such incredible teachings. Yeah. Even before me, um, yeah. my trainers, uh, Cole Devani, who, who passed away a few years ago, uh, was one of the only old timers around. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrestling, for, for those who don't know, uh, pro wrestling in Australia died in the 90s, practically. There was, no, there was nothing in South Australia, really. Uh, nothing in WA, East Coast a little bit. But there was this generation gap between old timers from the 80s and this new, more cutting edge, uh, extreme, like, you know, ECW type <laughs> yeah, audience. Yeah. Uh, and Cole Devani was, was someone who kind of came out of retirement and started training my mentor, Hartley Jackson uh, and Havoc and, and these guys who were still, still on the scene. But, and, and they were the, the ones that then spread all those teachings mm-hmm. to myself and Istria and, and so on and so on. Um, so I'm very fortunate. I've, I've, yeah, like you said, I have been to a lot of places and I, I did travel off my own back, but I think that initial grounding from Adelaide mm. made all the difference because yeah. those fundamentals were <clears throat> so seriously drilled into yeah. us and, and nowhere else. You, you would see other places and they all wanted to progress too quickly. I think mm. they, they, they would see Japanese wrestling and they would try to, try to mimic that, but they didn't have the fundamentals yeah. to do so. And it would be messy, it would be sloppy, it would be dangerous. Uh, but we were, for us, it was fundamentals first. Once you've got that, now you can start to learn more. Yeah. And a lot of people dropped off that way yeah. because they, you know, they want to they go right to the top. They want to be superstars from day one. But the ones that stuck around and stuck through it are the ones you now see leading Australian yeah. wrestling, uh, traveling yeah. the world. Internationally. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, maybe you could fill in a little bit of a gap for me as well because, you know, what you're saying is this is the way I've always seen that crew, that mm-hmm. crew, that Hartley Jackson crew, sure. you know, Adam Cooper as well, yeah. uh, Jason Cooper if yeah. the, for the fans that know him. This, for me, for someone who, you know, watched pro wrestling as a kid and grew up in the Attitude Era and had that idea of pro wrestling in their head um, and I parlayed this, you know, my idea of wanting to be a champion into being, you know, a fighter, an MMA fighter and all this kind of stuff. But when I first started to get exposed to yourself and this style of professional wrestling that was occurring uh, in the state of South Australia, it was different. It was different to that. But then I really started to recognize what it was. So I, the first time I ever saw you guys <clears throat> was actually the Royal Adelaide show. Yeah, right. And um, I think that was an interesting thing because, you, you know, you had to wrestle a certain style in a yeah. certain way, but that brought me out to your shows, sure. to your specific shows. But something else that happened around that time period is I'm seeing um, Hartley Jackson and Adam Cooper come out to jiu-jitsu competitions. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, <clears throat> they're some of the first handful of state championships that ever happened in this state. <clears throat> and I'm like, there must be something to this. Why would these professional wrestlers be coming out to be doing ju- you know, jiu-jitsu competitions? Mm-hmm. It didn't compute in my mind having the timeline of seeing Triple H and Mankind and stuff like that. But then when I look closer into it, it's this mentality of grounding in the fundamentals and the grounding in psychology and understanding things, but also understanding the true mechanics of grappling in general. Mm, yeah. Like a really broad concept in general, what grappling is. That's the mentality that was being pushed in, in that time era, in that yeah, generation. Definitely. Where did that come from? Uh, 
Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I was actually involved in those early tournaments yeah, too. Yeah. Um, I just didn't do very well because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> whereas those other boys did, did uh, much better than I. But uh, we, I think for us, we, we had a Japanese influence. Um, Hartley had gone to the Inoki Dojo yeah. in California. He'd trained under Antonio Inoki uh, and other coaches from New Japan Pro Wrestling and... Uh, and I was kind of in that same mix. I followed Hartley a lot with where he went, and I was going to make the same moves. Uh, Anoki Dojo closed three days before I got there, but, oh, wow. but I still got to train with a lot of the same guys. And yeah. and if you've if you've seen the Japanese style, if you know about the Japanese uh, young lion system of mm-hmm. developing talent, you need to learn how to grapple before you learn how to pro wrestle. Um, yeah, they they have a very respect based that's just the Japanese people but they have a very respect based system Uh, and if you watch a match with young lions or young trainees of Japanese wrestling they all do the same four or five moves Mm -hmm. they all finish their matches with the Boston Crab submission like it's it's all cookie cutter because it's the same as, as, as I said before you learn those basics you have to perfect those basics before you earn the right to to learn more Mm. so I think Hartley was the first actually he was the first to go over there and the first, really the first Australian to start to venture into the Japanese wrestling and Japanese style. Mm. He obviously brought that back. But at the same time, we were all coming up. This is early 2000s. Ring of Honor, it was a, a uh, just a, ma- not, I wouldn't say massive, but they were starting to really get momentum as an independent company. And a lot of people who were a little bit turned off by the WWE style, mm. which started to go a little bit more <clears throat> PG, a little bit more family friendly, started to see Ring of Honor, which incorporated styles from around the world, Japanese being one of them. And it was cutting edge stuff. It was, there was a lot of realism involved. There was this underlying fighting spirit and passion for battle over the, the characters and the hokiness yeah. and the, the dumb storylines and, and car crash TV. So as, as fans, we were all really getting into that. So when Hartley went over there, and he started to bring that back. We all gravitated towards that. And yeah. there was a collection of people in South Australia, not many, but there was a, a core group and we were attached to that style. And, mm. you know, we would have followed Harley to the end of the world. Yeah. You know, we, we just wanted to, we wanted to be that. We wanted to progress pro wrestling in Australia the same way it was starting to progress in America, in Japan, in UK, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So that's, I think that's kind of where it came from. It was paid dividends. Really. Absolutely. Like if... <laughs> We could speak at length about the success of people who've come from that. Mm. You know? But I mean, Jonah being one of yeah. them, Bronson Reed and NXT, if people aren't sure of who we're talking about. But being that this is a South Australian-based podcast, sure. I can imagine they know 100% who we're talking about. Yeah. That's like the end product mm-hmm. of that line of thinking and couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like he has a country behind yeah. him. And to see what he's been able to achieve and to this point of his career and the way that he's gone about it, it's just, yeah, everyone wants to see even more for him. But it's funny that you mentioned like this Inoki style, this Inoki line of thinking, you know, going back, it's that Frank Gotch connection with Antonio Inoki and that legitimate hard-nosed catch wrestling that becomes catch as catch can because catch wrestling it has an interesting history within itself yeah you're going as far back to you know farmer burns and a lot of these like um uh european catch wrestlers as well like ad santel like these guys this is the lineage of how professional wrestling began to occur so catch wrestling being you can 
lose mm -hmm. by being pinned to the mat or being submitted becomes catches catch can where you explore the potential for holds um, and these types of matches were happening in, in the same type of carnival era as bare knuckle boxing was occurring you're mm -hmm. having these 45 minute one hour yeah. bare knuckle boxing matches that they're just getting bloodying each other to a pulp because they can't hit each other that hard because they're going to yeah. break their hands exactly. this same time era these same traveling shows that these bare knuckle boxing fights are occurring on these catch wrestling matches are occurring on and the yeah. spectacle that is occurring around it with some of these names like Frank Gotch is one of them certainly but it, it's really growing it's growing exponentially and you know if you follow a timeline down that route it's, it's amazing but it, what I'm saying is it has this grounding in legitimate understanding of grappling and to know that that lineage has traced itself all the way into South Australia and the Australian mm. Wrestle Rampage Dojo is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And I consider myself incredibly lucky to be on the ground floor of it as a fan. Mm. And uh, just to ha you know, happen to have stumbled across you guys one day at the Royal Adelaide Show and then see you guys showing up at jiu-jitsu competitions and then following what you've been able to achieve as, as a dojo. Uh, like, look at the, the talent that is currently... Uh, at Wrestle Rampage Dojo and the type of talent that you're generating now at EPW as well. Like, it's a new era. Yeah. It's a true new era. And exactly. the people who really took that lineage and ran with it, they're now the leaders. The leaders in those positions. Ash is a leader in those positions. And the yeah. type and the caliber of people that he's training is just, it's amazing. And I've been lucky enough to be privy to some of the coaching and teaching that he's been, you know, uh, you know imparting on the Wrestle Rampage Dojo Chinese and man, like the things that he's saying, the psychology that he's translating and the, out, the outcomes are amazing. Absolutely Definitely. amazing. Have a look at Tom Collar. Yeah. Tommy Knight. What the hell? Yeah, I know. I had that happen. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it over him forever that I was the one who was like, maybe you should go for a tryout. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this whole cutting weight to make heavyweight <laughs> thing for MMA is not for you. You know yeah. what I mean? And look, he just has gone from strength to strength. And yeah. Unfortunately, you're going to have to try and beat him up oh, tonight. man, tell me about it. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just not looking forward to tomorrow. But, <laughs> no but injuries, uh, man. That's yeah. all I've got to say. No I'm an injuries. old man these days. Like, well, I'm an old man these days. Are you as old as me? I'm 34. I just Ooh, turned 34. I'll but, be 33 this year. But, you know, jeez, I've been bumping around since I was 13, 14. And that mileage. makes a difference. Yeah, mileage. That's time. what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mileage on the body. Yeah. Wow, man. I, when I saw... Wait, okay. Tom gave me a little bit of a heads up as to that you guys were only obviously going back to Cosgrove Hall to have sure. this match. I'm like, I can't miss this one. I've been kicking myself because the you know obviously through COVID they've been doing the dojo shows and it's yeah. been on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. I'm time poor as it is. I'm always coaching, but this one I was going to make time for. I Definitely. cannot miss tonight. Absolutely, you would be holding me out on a pitchfork to try and get <laughs> me out of that that stadium. That's, yeah, it's just amazing. And, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of nostalgia involved. Uh, obviously, Cosgrove Hall was where we actually started. Exactly. Our first event was there in 2005. Um, so there's a lot of history behind it. Uh, we haven't been there for so long. Yeah. And, and yeah, to, after all this, all this shit with COVID and mm. all these cancelled events and venues that don't come through and et cetera, et cetera. Like wrestling on the independent level is all about momentum and it's building up show after show after show building those crowds and unfortunately some things can derail that and they're often yeah venue problems and all sorts and to actually come back now to a proper proper venue the show's sold out which uh, to my knowledge i don't think we've ever sold a show mm. that's insane so yeah man i'm i couldn't be more keen for this this yeah. is just my yeah. tickets my oz tickets tickets didn't show up in the mail 
So I've got screenshots right. on my phone yeah, of yeah, like yeah. all of the tracking and all the numbers. I'm, gonna start, I'm like, hey, this is what's going on here. I yeah. paid for these tickets. Please let me in. Like, sure. It was killing me. But um, yeah, I mean, I talked briefly about the knowledge that you've amassed over your career. And yeah. Now you're in a position to give advice to young trainees as well and, and um, people with aspirations to become professional wrestlers. But it didn't start this way for you. As no. Well. And like, obviously, I get the chance to have you in this room and ask you questions. And what I wanted to ask you is, how did professional wrestling or how did the idea of becoming a professional wrestler begin for you in your life? I guess, I mean, I'm an attitude era kid as well. I, I started watching 99 when I was 12, 11 or 12. Um, and I think for most kids back then, you, you always had the dream of wrestling. You always envisioned yourself being a rock and climbing up and, and you know, that's, that's how we had fun. We would backyard wrestle our mates or... Uh, you know, for us, we would, <laughs> I went to a private school, so we, we would go to the chapel, <laughs> which had a had a nice little, like, fenced-off area, and we would have cage matches in the chapel uh, until we got suspended, but that's another story. So it, you always had those those dreams, but you never thought it was a reality, especially being Australian. Um, I mean, how could you think that you could one day be the rock? You live in Adelaide, South Australia, yeah. and back then there, was no, there were no schools. Mm. You couldn't actually learn the craft unless you found a trainer somehow and it's not like it's you go to the yellow pages or whatever there was barely even internet back then and in the late 90s you just had to know someone who knew someone and maybe they trained wrestling in the 70s and they would show you things and it was it was impossible so it just wasn't a, a proper aspiration it was just a pipe dream uh then Actually, for me, one of my uh, or my dad's players in rugby, he coached a team, uh, actually said that he'd started pro wrestling. And I was like, mind-blowing. Like, how? 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 <laughs> yeah. He said there's a school in Salisbury. Cole Devani was running it. I think there was only a handful of trainees. And so I always knew there was this place where maybe I could learn to be a wrestler. But still, you know, you're four, 13, 14 years old. You think, I'm this little scrawny kid. I can't be a wrestler, but I would love to just be around wrestlers or be around wrestling. So for me, I actually wanted to be a referee. That was my initial aspiration. I thought if I can be a referee, I can be in the same ring as real pro wrestlers. So that was like where it started. And then, yeah, as you get older, I started following the local scene, going to see Hartley Jackson wrestle. Uh, they used to do shows at the Octagon Theatre in Elizabeth. Um, packed out shows like... In the Attitude Era, you could put like a poster on a wall and you'll get 800 people doing a bit. It was, it was unreal. And I, and I would go to these shows and I'd follow them and I would just obsess with finding everything out about them uh, until the point came when I was 15 and I was finally old enough to actually start myself. Mm. Uh, and I, I went in there, took my first step into the what was known as the Monster Factory Training School and uh, it was the scariest period moment of my life um training back then was very old school very brutal very harsh they wanted to make you quit because they only wanted people who who deserved to be there uh and i didn't turn back which mm. honestly if you knew me going up i was a very shy timid kid mm. like i played a lot of sport but i wasn't super athletic yeah i wasn't tough i was you know i was i was scared of everything mm. and but wrestling was such a obsession that no matter how painful it was, no matter, like for a year straight, I think I felt like throwing up every single car ride home. 
I don't know whether it was head injury or, or what. <laughs> All the above, yeah. <laughs> back back, then, back yeah. then it was, you know, whatever, you just walk it off. But uh, I, I never once thought about giving it up mm. and that just kept snowballing. And that must have been a good turning point for you mentally as, as a human as well as a person. Yeah. I've, I've seen yeah. the same type of thing happen to Tom Collett. For sure. Tom Collett was a boy. He was a kid. Right. <laughs> and he, even when he was fighting mixed martial arts and fighting other men, like he still wasn't a man. Sure. And he still had to battle with those demons of legitimacy and, you know, imposter syndrome and can he actually do what's necessary and what needs to be done to overcome those demons. And I don't know if he found it. Yeah. I don't know if he found it in MMA, but I know that he's found it in professional wrestling. Yeah. So you've hit, you hit that same turning point. Yeah. And look, you, you had to start building your body. You, you, know, mm-hmm. you start taking independent bookings. Like, what is that? incremental process like for you oh uh it, it all it all happened when i was 17 I, I just finished high school i was pretty young when i finished year 12 uh and i knew that as soon as i finished high school i wanted somehow find a way to, to do stuff and travel like I, even though i didn't have those aspirations to make it to the wwe because i didn't think it was possible mm. even when i was wrestling when I first started, I didn't think it was possible. No one in Australia had ever done it. Yeah. No one had ever really even had a look in, in the slightest. We were in our own bubble, but I just knew I wanted to do something more. I had a lot of short-term goals. And my initial short-term goal was I want to have one match in front of a crowd and then I'm happy to quit. Mm. You have the one match. Yep. I want to have another match. Yep. I want to <laughs> do this. I want to, and then it was, it became, I want to go into state. Um, we had a link with EPW in Perth. Yep. They had, no training in Perth for the longest time. They actually came to South Australia to train. So a whole group of them came over, spent a month training under coal, got smashed for 30 days, went back, spread some of that knowledge, and they would come back over and over. Through that connection, I started to build a bit of a network and, and I just asked, can I come to Perth? Like, yeah. I'll fly myself out, I'll train. And that was when I just finished high school. So I literally went high school to schoolies, got back from schoolies, <laughs> packed my bags, went straight to Perth for two weeks. Uh, and I built a connection with David Storm, who owned uh, EPW Perth back then. And he uh, did far more for me than anyone should have. He, from that moment on, he brought me over, before I moved over, probably 50 different times almost. And he actually flew me, he paid flights, wow, travel. That's awesome. To this day, that's unheard of. Mm. Like 95% of Australian wrestling have never had a flight paid for. Uh, it's, yeah. the money just isn't there. So but you must have seen something though. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it felt bad for me. <laughs> 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 felt bad. He, uh, he went above and beyond and he would bring me over. And from that, yeah, like I said, those, those aspirations snowballed. And as soon as you see someone doing something you start to think maybe i could do that too mm. for me hartley jackson was the guy i followed uh i'm not someone i'm i don't, I don't think i'm a at least back then i wasn't a born leader I, I i didn't take initiative and do things that hadn't been done if i if it hadn't been done i thought it was wasn't possible but then i would see hartley travel to america uh, on his own dime of course but he went there built the connection with Minoki, and then it was like hold on maybe i could network through him and then uh, other friends and other peers would go to interstate. Or maybe I could talk to them and see mm. if I could hook something up. And it was always just one foot in front of the other. Where can I go next? What can I do next? And 
I always preach setting those short-term goals because I've seen people burnt out yeah. setting long-term. Um, I've had trainees and people come in and, and it's, I want to get to WWE on main event WrestleMania and then if they don't, in five years, they still haven't really gotten anywhere and it's suddenly, I hate wrestling. Oh, wrestling man, it takes worst. so long. It takes so 100%. Long. It's any pursuit, any yeah, pursuit, definitely. Really, but we're talking a physical pursuit yeah. as well, in which you have to go through a lot of adaptation and a lot of steep learning curves. Uh-huh. After curve, after curve, after yeah. curve. You know, you unlock a new level, and that's just a new level of learning that you For have sure. to go through as well. It's, it's like that, very much with MMA, very much with jiu jitsu. Yeah. You can draw those parallels, but professional wrestling has the same exactly. type of, of ethos where it's sort of like it's never enough. And yep. people will help you and they'll guide you through and they'll get you to a certain level. But then that progression has to come off of your own back. Definitely. And I know that, you know, you're, you're likely to be very modest. I've seen you in the ring and I've seen what you can do. This progress has come off of your own back as well. Sure. So, man, like, I don't know when you're beginning to come out and go into state and go internationally i'm not sure of the positions that you were being booked in but you're starting to generate in-ring skills that are superior they're starting to surpass your peers and you're starting to put together matches that are incredibly technical incredibly intricate and that's how you're starting to get known so again that builds the trust level for you and your brand and you as a person but that unlocks the next level of learning like what is it like when you're known as someone who's quite good, how you're being booked in, say, a New Japan setting, how you actually have to scale up, and who do your peers look like now? Who are the people you're competing with for those spots now? Like, it's just a new thing, mm-hmm. like hitting hitting that progression rate that's fast and then plateau, progression, pro- progression rate, plateau. Like, that must be incredibly difficult in an industry like professional wrestling. For sure. And, and a lot of it's very subjective too. That makes it difficult because... It's not about winning and losing. It's about mm. who do you impress. Yep. And uh, people have different opinions on what they want to see. Yeah. I've learned that right up until now. Um, mm. Some people think you're a god. Some people think <laughs> you have nothing. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like as you start to work up, you, you do, your peers change. But I think you have to meet that level. And, and some people do go up and meet that level. And some people crumble under pressure. Um I think for me, the, the biggest turning point was when I went to Japan in 2012. I went and trained uh, at, zero, at the Zero One Dojo. And I mean, uh, by that point, I'm nine years into my career. So I've already gone for a while, built up a good name in Australia, traveled plenty, but I still felt massive imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I still thought I was terrible, honestly. I, I thought that I... Uh, I thought that people enjoyed people who enjoyed seeing my work were people who didn't understand wrestling because <laughs> like, i had such a high standard and expectation yeah. for me it's like i want to i want to be on the level of the world's best mm-hmm. but i didn't think i didn't know if i could and then i went over there and uh i got to work alongside a lot of um really good japanese names uh i had a match they booked me against Masato Tanaka uh, who was an ECW star uh, Japanese legend wrestled for New Japan Pro Wrestling and they booked me against him over there and, and I thought, well, firstly, that's massive, that's huge. But they gave, gave us 15 minutes. For pro wrestling, 15 minutes is a long mm. time. Um, so that that's, can show you how much trust they have in you. And he did everything he could to make me look good. He wanted me to shine. And, and by the end of that, I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I am 
on that level, obviously not on his level. He's, he's a superstar, but I think I could actually do this. And that was the first time I actually thought I could, I could probably do this full time. I could probably do something of it. And from then until, well, until now, until a few years ago, that's when a lot of opportunities started arising, mm. uh, like the WWE, like New Japan. And I had this confidence backing me that I'd never had before. Uh, it wasn't overconfidence at all, but it was just confidence that I know I can hang. Yeah. At, at least I can look the part. And that's the most important thing. Because mm. if you can't, you, you'll stand out like a sore thumb. Isn't it incredible that all of that work and all of that, you know, all of that true progression that we talked about, like just so that you know that you can look the part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Literally, because yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Getting to that level, that's just an example or a depiction of how difficult the industry actually is. Um, an advent that occurred in Australian professional wrestling that I saw, if you, you know, when I bring it up, you understand what I mean, TMDK. Yeah. So TMDK as a faction and as sort of as a rolling faction as well with members that um, you know, join in and join out. That to me, if you have a look at the members of that, that seemed to be like a little bit of a bridge for you when you got to that level of, of okay, these are the really high level guys from Australia. This is the premier faction. And that was an incredibly well-known and very successful faction as well, uh, depicted more so by the fact of everyone who's been involved in it has had incredible success moving forward from it as well. Do you feel like that was a, a little bit of a pivot point or a pivotal point? Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if it was, and only because TMDK as a, as a faction, unlike a typical pro wrestling storyline where a creative writer has put together this idea for you and you to team up and mm. call yourself this fancy name. TMDK was always just a group of friends. Yeah. Um, it started off as Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes. Shane, uh, both were in the WWE. Shane's still there at the moment. Uh, they started a team. They started to travel and they started to build like-minded individuals mm. like, like Bronson Reed, like yeah. uh, Brendan Vink, so on and so on. And, you know, we're all friends and it took time for us all kind of to come together as this super group. I think there's 10 to 12 of us now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Collective. Uh, so we were already kind of like working together and writing together for so many years. So I wouldn't say that it was necessarily like a big turning point when I joined them, but it was more when I started, when I started hanging with those guys, mm-hmm. when I started following their footsteps. Because I think for, for all of us in the group, it's not about ability, it's about mindset. And, and all of us have done everything we could in our careers yeah. to try to break out, to try to get more knowledge. We've all traveled the world and we all had this extra step that we're willing to take that others perhaps aren't. Mm. You know, we were all willing to give everything for, for this mm. dream. Uh, and for a lot of us, we did. Um, you know, money, relationships, yeah. whatever, time, uh, you name it. I think that's kind of where we came together. Yeah. So um, it's not like this exclusive click. No, it's no, not this no, no. girls click. You know, no, but it never seemed that way. No, and that's why I brought it up with reverence. Mm-hmm. Like from a true fan perspective, you sure. go two things. You'd be like, "Fuck, that's cool," and those guys are really good. Yeah, like, you know, sure. that's that's what it instills within like a, a fan fan. Yeah. But for me, I was looking at it like these are the premier guys in Australia. These are the guys who are going to be forging ahead and. 
And every, that's what everyone saw. And to hear the backstory and to hear the idea and the ethos behind it, it's quite obvious as to why. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it takes something like that. Sometimes it just does take those like-minded individuals to band together and make something amazing. A parallel that I would draw would be something like um, Absolute, St. Kilda, yeah. Lachlan Giles sure. and Kit Dale and Craig Jones. And when they came together and uh, it wasn't about the click it wasn't about the club it was about getting to adcc trials and fucking winning mm -hmm. and doing well and making everyone around you awesome and helping everyone to understand how to be that way and how to live that way sure that to me that's what tmdk was yes and that's how i've always seen it and yeah. uh man just like just to know that the timeline of it to yeah, me is yeah. fascinating I'm, I'm sitting here just marking out like, yeah. that's really cool that's really cool tell me more yeah. like, sure sure no. but that's good stuff man and like being that you've experienced so much and obviously like you know going to the Cruiserweight Classic you know I was looking at that like I can imagine when you were paired with Tajiri mm -hmm. like this is the match that you're going to have yeah. a couple of things would have gone through your mind. Obviously, he's a legend, a legend in WWE, a legend across Japan, a legend of ECW, just a legend in general. So, A, I get to work with this guy, which is great, but B, I'm not going over. <laughs> I'm not going over on this guy. But I think the other thing is that, uh, you know, please correct me if yeah, I'm wrong yeah. with this, but out of all of the guys that you, you had on that show or yep. on that event, he would have been one of the ones you didn't necessarily want to work with because he had been part of the WWE production style for quite some time. Sure. It's not so much going to get you mm -hmm. to show what you have that is unique, that is right. different, that is you. Yeah. you know, it's it's going to be a little bit more contained into the style that they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't know how it came about. And I'm talking purely from an outsider's perspective looking in, but... If that's what it was, that's what it was. But what an incredible experience it must have been. Oh, I mean, time. what kind of emotions ran through you when... You just nailed it perfectly. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, fair enough. Honestly, yeah. Uh, yeah, so coming in, there was 32 or 31 other cruiserweights from around the world and you had your collection of uh, legends who, like Tajiri, Brian Kendrick, who had been around mm -hmm. before and were coming back in their late 40s uh, for like this one last run. Uh, then you had your current cream of the crop, Yokota Ibushi, Zack Sabre Jr., like your, your top top tier indie talent who are more than ready to break out. Yeah. And then you had your your more unknowns, like myself, like a few others who perhaps didn't have a name but had impressed in some way mm. uh, through tryouts or whatever. Of all of that, I wanted to, to wrestle one of the hyped up indie guys yeah. because you just knew that if you did that, they were on a high level. They were going to be willing to do everything yeah. uh, that you were and this and that. And, and yeah, you're right. Um, Tajiri had been part of the WWE system since the early 2000s mm -hmm. when they bought ECW. Uh, he, or even before then, I think, he came in uh, and had a fantastic career. But it is a system mm -hmm. and they have a way they like to see yeah. pro wrestling or sports entertainment, whatever mm -hmm. you would call it. So that was my initial thought. And, and you're right. Uh, I knew that... <laughs> If I get paired up with uh, Tajiri, I'm not sticking around for this yeah. tournament like I'm going home. However, when we started, when we actually um, started to work together before, prior to the taping and started to put together this match, uh, it couldn't have been more wrong. Like oh. Tajiri, if, if you saw the match, Tajiri didn't wrestle his normal match. It was no. a much more technical match than yeah. usual. 
And he, his entire aim was to, to get me over, to make me look amazing. That's all he wanted to do. That's why he he's let a me do right there. everything I wanted yeah. to do. Um, and he knew that, yeah, okay, yeah, he was winning in the end. He was going to look amazing in his final stretch. He does, <laughs> does the tarantula and the buzzsaw <laughs> kick and all of his big, uh, big high spots and moments. But the rest was, what can he do to make me look good? Yeah. Which I didn't expect. And, and that, you're right, that shows what a legend he is. Yeah. I, on, in hindsight, I am so glad I wrestled him over anyone else. I, I thought that was the absolute best option. All eyes were on him, making his return, former champion, etc. Um, so all eyes were on our match. And uh, yeah, no regrets at all. That was the perfect, the perfect initiation. And, to, and also to be, able to, to be able to wrestle my way, but also within the confines of what WWE wants, because that's mm. what he knows. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other guys were coming in uh, having zero experience and, you know, let's do our independent Japanese style, whatever, might not necessarily be what they wanted to see, but he was able to take what I did, what I wanted, and make it something he knew they would like. Mm. So that was pretty cool. I learned a lot in that. that what a brilliant way to look at it, man. Mm. What you just did right there, that's why you're an industry leader. That's why you're the professional who's giving the advice right now because you looked at it and that's the business, right? You looked at it for what it was and took from it what you could take from it. You didn't sulk around about it. You didn't say, oh, I could have been this and it could have been that. It was what it was and you got something from it. You got benefits out of it and you came back and you made it more. You made more from that event. Whereas so many people could you know, put on the face yeah, you know, yeah. and just, and that's it. They're done. You know, that's their story. That's their narrative that they're sure. going to tell for the rest of the time. But entitlement is such a, such a big issue I think in wrestling mm -hmm. uh, I think it's been getting better but for the longest time it was my biggest pet peeve was just so many entitled individuals I think because wrestling is subjective yeah. and how well you do is based on what someone thinks so someone could someone who perhaps doesn't deserve it uh, for whatever for their lack of work ethic for their poor attitude mm -hmm. for maybe even lack of skill could be put into very good positions yeah. just based on circumstance mm -hmm. they impressed someone uh there was a lack of whatever on the show they needed that and suddenly they think they're the man mm -hmm. and then that carries over when they don't get the opportunities anymore suddenly it is that that boo-boo face yeah. you know dragging their feet um i've never understood that i think that uh you know every every opportunity counts and i've seen people be given very little uh, in terms of maybe time on a show given a short two to three minute match and have looked yeah. like superstars, have yeah. really shone. And, and like I always say, that being able to shine when you are severely limited will impress far more than someone who is given no restrictions. Go out there, 20 minutes, go and uh, steal the show. That's, that's easy. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Anyone can do that. But to be able to be told, look, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. We want you to only go for three minutes uh, we're going to focus on your opponent. We don't really care about you. And then you go out and you get the crowd on your side and you impress. That means more than anything. So uh, I think it's it's all perspective, yeah. big time. It's such brilliant advice to, to hear from young trainees these mm. days as well. And obviously, as I said before, you're in a position to do it, but you're not doing it aggressively. You're doing it actually in a, in a very mentoring type of way. And the, the type of content that you're putting out currently online has just been absolutely 
golden. Like I, I could sit there and watch it and I'm learning. You know, I, I'm not partaking currently in professional sure. wrestling. I'm just some dude who talks shit about it. I often think like if uh, people who are involved in the industry heard the way I speak, they'd be hunting me down and looking to take my head because they're like, who is this dude? He doesn't know shit about shit. Yeah. But I honestly don't. But I know more now because I've been watching more videos. Like where did this uh, passion come from, this intent to put it all out there? Is this sort of like the culmination of your learnings or, yeah. or something you yeah. felt there was a gap that was missing? Uh, a bit of both. Um, I, I think looking back, I was always a, they call it, you know, student of the game. Mm. You know, I, I was obsessed from the, the day I started watching wrestling to the point where I would seek out information. And back then it was tough. You'd have to, we had tape traders. You would have to go online, find an email of a tape trader who had grainy overdubbed VHS mm. tapes of some obscure promotion out of South Korea, like, you know, whatever, <laughs> um, just to get a, a new perspective and a new bit of information, a new bit of learning. Uh, and I was someone who spent all my free time doing that in high mm -hmm. school, like just trying to find information from anywhere. And that's why I traveled. I wanted to get as many different uh, education experiences as I could. Um, when I started my uh, my YouTube channel, World Beater Wrestling, that was like three years ago, I think, uh, I did notice there was a gap uh, online, I'd, I'd started to see a lot of uh, like jujitsu tutorials, yep. heaps of them going on YouTube. Like it was always in my uh, you know recommended links, like heaps of them. I'm like, why is there no, why is there nothing for wrestling? And I think a lot of it was because wrestling was always surrounded in secrecy. Um, for the longest time, you didn't, you you weren't, you were frowned upon if you revealed the magic of pro mm -hmm. wrestling and the tricks and. And yeah, okay, everyone has known for a long time since Vince revealed all in the 90s that it is not legit. Uh, and there's been a few things here and there, like there was a, there was a, there was a um, episode on TV of uh, Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets Revealed oh, in like okay. the 90s oh. and it just kept circulating. Like Magic Revealed? Yeah. In one of those same, ones. Yeah, yeah. Like the same, same company, production. Same production. Fuck. And it was so hokey. <laughs> oh, it would have been the worst way to do oh, it. Man. Um, but like, that's kind of it. So yeah. if you want to know how things are done, that was all you, all you had. And I thought, why can't I fill that gap? Mm. And YouTube's easily accessible. I can put my own videos out quite easily. Mm. Um, and I did, I had a lot of experiences. I think more like a lot of different experiences. Mm. You've got a lot of great trainers in Australia. There are a lot of people who have traveled, but to go to all, to many different countries mm. and train under different styles. Like I had... I had time training with Mexicans uh, in Lucha Libre. I got to train under the Japanese style. I got to train in places where they couldn't speak English uh, and immerse myself. And I thought, I'm in this unique position. Let's just see what happens. And I didn't expect it to take off. Um, it's still in the building stages, but it has, I, I think it's taken off much more than I imagined. Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was born just out of me thinking there's a gap here. Why, why can my lessons only be spread to one you know, four mm. by four, four wall, little shed in Malaga, yeah. Western Australia. Why can't other people learn from me? And I was doing a lot of seminars at the time, traveling Australia, doing that. And I thought, let's put stuff online. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind giving away my, my secrets for free. <laughs> like, obviously they were given to me by others. People handed that down their lessons. I think it, it makes sense for me to pay it forward. And you always acknowledge that as well. That's something sure. I've always noticed about you. They come across very professional. They awesome. really do. I really like, obviously, the functional aspects of how to do moves. Like, instructionals are instructionals. And they're at a top-tier level. And it's something, I'm, as you said, I've never seen before. 
for professional wrestling mm. in that type of format. But it's also the mentality, the advice, the those things could just get so lost and yeah. you know again correct me if i'm wrong that might take a trainee years to understand to truly understand they might get told things over and over and over again but to truly understand it that takes a little bit more prompting that takes experience yeah. and because you're speaking from experience and you're willing to impart that experience in a mentoring way as opposed to like an aggressive like top down way i think it's getting heard Sure. A lot more. Something I wanted to pose to you was, given you know the the hybrid mix of styles that you've been exposed to and the way that you've been able to portray it in your own right, do you think this is becoming like on a, an Australian style? Because I've seen things happening now where there are those Japanese influences. There, there is the prospect of you know leveling up and going to the high, the bigger promotions internationally. It's a proven pathway now, um, but keeping something that is unique. You know, from Australia, from all of those influences, that's what's going to get you in the door. There must yeah. be something to it because I've seen things happening now where it's not the same style as it used to be. Sure, but it's not a locked-in style. It's yeah. not a specific style. And you know, from your perspective, do you feel like Australia has a unique style, or is it uh, is it generating one? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I think there's definitely potential for that. Um... The difference is though, Australia never had much of a history in pro wrestling. Mm. Whereas if you look at like the British style, Japanese style, North American style, Mexican, Lucha Libre, they all had a lot of history and they, a lot of them are starting to become a little diluted as they bring in other influences, mm -hmm. but they still have that history they go back to. We've never had that. Yeah. So I think our style really is a hybrid of all different styles. Yeah. Um, but you're right, there, there, there's obviously a little bit of that kind of hive mind when it comes to wrestling. And mm -hmm. if you spend long enough in a place, you have your own flavor, but you start to adopt some of the things that others do in mm -hmm. that area. So if you, you know, if you go to a Wrestle Rampage show, you, you're not gonna see all the same match. They'll all be very different, but you'll see a lot of similarities from the entire show yeah. as a collective. Um, and if you go to other promotions in Australia, same thing. Yes, I think a lot of the promotions in Australia are quite similar now in, in the styles that you see. Um, I think it definitely has potential to become its own thing, mm. but I think people are always going to look on it as a copycat of everything yeah. else yeah. because we don't have that history. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Like, yeah. I, I guess I see Australia as like an open book style. Sure. Like it really has that does have the potential to be its own thing yeah and uh, i think that with the teachings that you're starting to impart on people and you know what ash is doing as well mm -hmm. and all of the leadership group at wrestle rampage that could fill that void sure eventually definitely um man you have been performing for an incredibly long time now as mm -hmm. you say coming up on 20 years yeah you're still competing. You're yeah. still performing. Yeah. What is the passion? What is the drive? What is the thought process behind your modern day matches? Like you have a match yeah. Yeah. today yeah. with yeah. Tommy Knight. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. coming into this, what gets you there now? Uh, I think for the longest time, it was always that eventual end goal of uh, being signed as a full-time wrestler. And it was always New Japan or WWE. That was the goal. Um, Probably, it would have been last the start of last year, uh, just before COVID. Uh, I felt like I'd exhausted all options. I'd, I'd had very influential people 
recommend me to different companies. I'd run tryouts. I'd wrestled for practically all of the major companies or yeah, or at least had some kind of networking opportunity and I'd been turned down by all of them. And I, I had my final, uh, I had a little like private look in with WWE. This is long after the Cruiserweight Classic. This was end of 2019. I had a little behind closed doors uh, match for them again, probably the fifth time they'd seen me. <laughs> and at that point I thought, I've done everything. I've shown them every different style I could, every different uh, character perspective. And uh, I got, again, a lot of, I always get a lot of positive feedback. But there's always that one little obstacle of, you know, um, uh, we think you're professional, we think you're highly skilled, but we uh, can't differentiate you from a lot of other talent we have. Um, you know, I'm, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not a 300 pound Samoan, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a six foot six, like I'm, I'm five foot 11, I wrestle very hybrid style. I, so yeah, I, I completely understand where they're coming from. But that was the moment when I said, cool, like, that doesn't bother me at all. For the, it felt like a real actual weight off the shoulder because all this pressure I put on myself for so many years, um, there were so many things I wanted to do in my life that I didn't because everything was pro wrestling. Yeah. I have to make it to WWE. Yeah. So every single minute of every day was what can I do to get me closer? And then to have that basically door pretty much shut, I actually felt happy. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I can do whatever I want right. and I don't have to worry about that little like, voice in the back of my head telling me like, oh, what if WWE see this and it's not what they want? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I spoke to, uh, I've, one of, one, another um, uh, Z- former Zero One uh, trainee is Alex Shelley. He, yep. and he's. I didn't know that. My, he, awesome. he, well not trainee, but he wrestled there for a while, trained at the dojo. He trained under Kudo Hidaka, who was my mentor over there. So we have, um, we're from the same place and he definitely values that place and anyone who comes out of that dojo he has time for um and he actually uh, contacted me over the last couple of years and would give me advice and things like that mm-hmm. which was really cool and i actually spoke to him about it and uh and he said if you if that's really still your dream you can do what they want you can change yourself you know you can or if you know if you're happy being the way you are then don't worry about it, just mm. just be you. And that was real eye-opening. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. And since then, I've just focused on doing what I wanna do. If I wanna wrestle a certain style, I'm gonna wrestle it. Um, even if it's not what the WWE want, even if it's not what whoever wants, I'm gonna be me. And I think there's something important about that. I think it comes through in the, the, the organic feel yeah. of what you put out there. Yeah, I'd, I'd People have to can sense yeah. the, People can sense that you enjoy what you do. Um, And I think for a long time, I wasn't being myself. I was trying to be someone else. Because you felt you had to. You had to, yeah. Because that's what they wanted, or at least Mm -hmm. you thought that's what they wanted. Uh, So yeah, that perspective changed a lot of things. I don't know where my future lies. I'm happy just, you know, creating art on the canvas. That's, I look at every match like it's, like it's its own piece of art. And I enjoy the process of attacking the match for its uniqueness and just what can I do to make this special? That is incredibly insightful, man. And look, as someone who is a fan of yours, that makes me very excited. It's like Damien Slater off the leash. Sure. I mean, like, here we go. This is it. This Mm -hmm. is, it's not a chance. It's not an opportunity. It's just you. This is it. That's That's awesome, man. I'm I'm so glad to hear that. That, 
that puts you in, paints you in a really good picture and puts you in a really good place. And I'm glad that you're finding positivity in the industry that you've put so much into. And uh, from what it sounds like, it leads one thing to the next. Like quality of work is what you should be looking for now. Absolutely. Um, man, and there's a lot of cool different avenues that that could go, a few Absolutely. different ways that that could go. For sure. That's really exciting. Like yeah. I'm sitting here, I'm actually physically excited about it. And I, I think a lot of the time, honestly, you find that people who who are like that and, and the people who are like, you know what, I'm just going to be me, they're the ones that actually eventually get the contracts and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're not trying to be everyone else. They're trying to be themselves. And, and that's you know, that's not the end goal anymore. If, if, if that was to happen, fantastic. That's, of course, I want to wrestle full-time and not have to do other things in my life that take up my time. But uh, if it doesn't, I'm perfectly content with where I am. I still enjoy what I do and, and the coaching side of things is as rewarding as ever. So yeah. there's there's a lot of different avenues and ways to go with, with yeah. this for sure. And look, you, I, I don't want to pigeonhole you into the student of the game idea, but you're a student of many games. Mm-hmm. And so jujitsu is a thing that has sort of taken hold of you as it usually yeah, would yeah. do. Uh, I've seen you competing. I've seen you leveling up. I've seen you staying dedicated. Some of our initial uh, person-to-person interactions were in the jiu-jitsu sphere, sure. coming in and rolling and learning techniques. and how, Where does that fit for you now? It, I think it, it follows those same lines. I, I always I always enjoyed it. I just never had the time with, with everything I put into wrestling and life and all the rest. Mm. So I would, for the longest time, I would, you know, I'd roll here and there with someone. I'd maybe go and visit a friend's gym for a, a session, but I never put any substantial time I never uh, I never progressed with it and as you know if you don't stay consistent it all disappears like <laughs> it, it really does like I, I, I learned enough that would help my wrestling which was cool that's why I, I did jiu-jitsu was to make my wrestling a, a bit more legit mm. add a few creative dimensions to my game that were different from everyone else that's why I came and saw you mm-hmm. before the Cruiserweight Classic but uh, yeah never put that time in um, when I kind of got that rejection that was just before COVID hit. We were locked down for two months. No gyms were open. And I said, as soon as gyms reopen, I'm, go- I'm going consistent. Yeah. I'm going to go full bore. And yeah, okay, wrestling training will fall by the wayside, which is fine. Uh, but I want to give it a go. And that was 10, 11, almost probably 10 months ago today. Uh, and I've been training four or five days a week. And, and as the more you do it, the more you start to enjoy it because yeah. you, you feel that progression. And you can see from week to week, month to month, you start to notice that you're getting better. Yeah. Than and for me, that's that's what I used to love about wrestling and finding a different avenue now and learning and being the student again has just kind of like brought, you know, it's, it's, it's really like revitalized me in a yeah. lot of ways. And that it always does. Look professional wrestling has a, a great fraternity and a great brotherhood and jiu-jitsu as well has that it has a great community of yep. people that are always willing to help you out it's people sharing knowledge and every single day partaking in the upskilling of each other mm-hmm. uh, and it breeds a lot of trust it breeds a lot of respect and it breeds a lot of progression as well it's Definitely. you know i'm biased again my god this is what i've dedicated my life to obviously i'm not uh, competing anymore so my mind is very much geared to being the analytical uh, and delving into technique and what's happened over the last five years with the advent of the entire leg lock system being mm-hmm. open door now it's changing the rules of competitions that has been very closed in the past 
it's it's spiked everyone. Yeah. Everyone's become a student again. Everyone's become really involved in the, the new school progressions and evolutions of jiu-jitsu has really come back around. And it's opened my eyes up a little bit more. And that's when I started to go back and look at catch wrestling history. And catch wrestling as an idea is actually quite intuitive for mixed martial arts in a situation where I can be defeated by being pinned and also be defeated by being submitted and I can also have my neck cranked and I can be severely hurt by any rotational submission not just not just the idea that I'm going to get submitted but I can be hurt that's MMA right Mm -hmm. so if I'm trying to develop a bottom system a sweeping system where I'm trying to get up off the bottom uh, in a pure wrestling format I'm not taking into account the fact that I can be guillotined or I can be kimurita or I can be uh, cradle or single leg trapped so now if you look at catch wrestling, I'd have to develop a system to getting up off the bottom, not getting pinned, putting the energy into the right area to win the scramble, to not get pinned in the first place, not have my back on the ground, which is great for MMA. But if I do, I'm getting up in a way that incorporates the fact that I can be submitted or I can be struck or I can be damaged. So that as well, if you look at catch wrestling and that idea, it translates really well to MMA. But the overall idea of the ADCC submission wrestling format really translates super well to MMA and to the evolution of the sport as well. And something I've been doing recently is I've been going back and watching all of the WNO, the Who's Number One yep. shows. There's some elite level grappling taking place on that. And again, they're 15 minute matches, submission only. The attempt, the legitimacy of attempt of submission is scored very heavily. Every five minutes, three judges will show who they believe is in front in the match in total. And some of the performances that are getting put on at these shows, like I'm seeing guys like Cole Labate, like 16-year-old kids, and Mika Galvao facing off with the death squad. You know, you've got Tyra Rotolo and Katie Rotolo facing off with Nicky Ryan and Mm -hmm. um, uh, like Taza and Krellistan and of course Gordon and Craig, like... And again, the unique position that I get to be in, you know, being a fan of Craig Jones and being a fan of grappling, like I've had matches in competition against Craig Jones. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he ducked me for his last fight. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it right here. Oh, he yeah. ducked me, okay? okay. <laughs> he was meant to fight me and then yeah. he went off and did something. I don't know, so he like submitted some guy called Leandro Lowe in ADCC. <laughs> oh, whatever. He did that, right? And then he chose not to come back and, and fight me. It's yeah. like, okay, I'll retire after yeah, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's never going to get the chance ever again. So that's on him. But... Sometimes these things happen in the industry, like me choosing not to compete anymore opened up my mind to be a technical instructor, to be a technical coach and to live selflessly. Mm -hmm. I want to give as much of what I know how to do and more. I want to continue to adapt and progress and get more knowledge so that I can much more properly impart it to the people who have chosen to allow me to guide them. And that's the way that I see it. Yeah. It's not me talking down to them. They're yeah. allowing me to help them. And so I better take that seriously. Mm-hmm. If I allow myself to stagnate, that's fine. I could rest on my laurels and teach them the stuff that I learned. But if I'm not actively trying to pursue evolution, then I'm really doing them a disservice. And in a world where you get severely hurt as a consequence yeah. of, yeah. of you know, your coach's inadequacy or ego, like man, that I've got a lot of great incentive to push every single day towards progression and I put a lot of work into it. I put a lot of work into personality identification, different learning styles, different ways to communicate and translate things to different people. And I can only hope that it helps. 
That's what I'm looking for. And sure. that, that's been a great progression in my life as well. The reason I bring that up is it's led me to my best grappling. It's led me to my best jujitsu. The way that I'm rolling now, the things that I'm doing in competition class, not in competition, that's not who I am. I'm not the spotlight guy. But the way that I'm rolling in the academy and the way that I'm putting things together is far superior to what I was doing 10 years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. Mm -hmm. I've Good been time. a black belt for five years now. The, the progression rate that I've taken as a black belt has far outweighed any progression I've ever taken in jiu-jitsu, even white to blue. So I'm really happy that sometimes it's exactly what you're saying. You take away something and yeah. you replace yeah, it with another thing else. and the passion comes Definitely. back. Definitely. And I think just having that, um, having that thought as well, like thinking about, okay, how can I progress this? I think that's the, yeah. that's the biggest thing, just having that mindset. So who, I mean, I've talked a lot actually about people who inspire me and the reasons they inspire me, but who are some of the people that inspire you, whether it's grappling or wrestling or who, whatever it may be? Ooh, uh, I think I, I think I'm definitely inspired by people who, who do have similar mindsets, um, from a, from an in-ring wrestling standpoint, Zach Sabre Jr. is someone who mm. does because he's, to me, he's one of the first guys who really started to incorporate jujitsu mm. um, into what he does. Uh, you know, you would see people throwing in random submissions here and there in pro wrestling, uh, but he's someone who, his the way he structures matches and the psychology he uses is so different to mm. everyone else. Um, he's not afraid to do something completely different and not stray from who he is. Yeah. And, uh, that's hard that, to that's do. risky. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's big time risky. Like yeah. you get the wrong crowd and they don't understand yeah. what you do. But he's so confident in what he does. Um, but I feel like any crowd can appreciate it, even if they don't understand his. Well, he makes them understand game. it. Exactly, he makes them understand it. It's that's so aesthetically thing. obvious that sure. the shit he's doing hurts. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. then it, you think it's hurting one way, and then it hurts a whole other yeah. way. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, you might get a crowd that doesn't appreciate it, but he makes them appreciate it. The way he's doing it, it's, it's that perfect blend of being incredibly technically sound, mm -hmm. but also understanding the spectacle of what you're doing. And something that he really does is he, like, he zeroes in on where the pain is. He makes you feel the pain has shifted from this spot and it's compounded and shifted to this spot. Sure. Like the, the psychology of that and the storytelling of that is, is brilliant. Like even someone who doesn't understand the intricacies of submissions can understand that. And again, he yeah. makes them yeah. understand it. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It yeah. really is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, he, he would, he would be one just for that. Uh, and from a, like from a, um, a coaching mentoring standpoint, David Storm in, in EPW Perth, he's, someone who has been around since the early days of Western Australian wrestling in the, in the early 2000s. And he was probably the first guy to really shine a light on the psychology of pro wrestling to me. Um, the way, the way I was brought up in the old school style, you weren't explicitly taught psychology. Like the way I, on my videos and in my lessons, the way I explicitly teach this makes sense because of this. And if this happened, like the why, the, yeah. the meaningfulness, we didn't get that. We, we learned the moves. We would do matches and, and our trainer would, would scream out advice as we were wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And we would kind of have to come up with it ourselves. And it became more intuition. Like, yeah, I think it's, I think I should start fighting back. Mm. I, should, I think I should, I think we should wrap the match up, whatever it may be. He was the first guy to actually um, 
start to question things. Oh, why'd you do that? Why, why'd you put that there? And I couldn't answer a lot of his questions. Yeah. So he started to frame things in different ways for me. So he's someone who I, I idolize in, in that respect. And his attitude as well to the game, again, just a very positive uh, attitude away from that old school exclusive boys club yeah. approach. You know, he's very welcoming, all are welcome, uh, high, high expectations. Mm. You've got to put in the work you got to earn your spot, but um, at the same time, he's someone who's definitely changed my my approach to wrestling and started to change my mindset for the better, I think. Yeah. So I use a lot of his learnings as well. But man, like, I take inspiration from a lot of people from different industries. And mm. I'm always like, I, I love reading books. I'm yeah. always reading different books, like from crazy scientific theories <laughs> to like autobiographies to fiction but like whatever um i just try to take as many influences from different industries and i think that i think if, if all you take influence from is the industry you're in you're just going to be another another diet version of of who pretty much before you yeah i think if you can add things from other areas you'll make the industry better as a whole so that's kind of where i where i sit well look i mean i'm a head coach of an mma academy and i'm a huge professional wrestling yeah, fan yeah i mean i I've always been a fan of it. I, I wish that people understood it more to a point where they respect it sure. properly. You know, because it, it's such a fascinating and interesting business. I can listen to pro wrestling podcasts nonstop and hear guys who are passionate about the business talk about the business and talk about their matches, talk about psychology, talk about road stories and mm -hmm. events and things that have occurred and in and around it. But the thing that they all share is such a love for the industry and such a camaraderie and respect for anyone who's ever partaken in it. And it, it's like become its own entity. It's become its own thing. And I just think that it's off the back of so many people who've put in so much effort for such a long time that it has become what it's become. And yeah. it's like, I, I guess a, a blanket statement that, that kind of rings true is it's just not what people think it is. It's not what people think. It is. No, yeah. for good and for bad. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's um, but yeah. I find it incredibly inspiring. For I really sure. do. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. find people like yourself inspiring. I find people like Ash inspiring. Yep. Hartley as well. Like this, I draw inspiration from this. Kenny Omega, I find incredibly inspiring. Like mm -hmm. learning more about him and more about his story and where he came from and what he went through and what he's been able to achieve to the, to this day. Young Bucks, Chris Jericho. Like look, the list goes on there. Like I started as the Attitude Era fan. Yeah. And now I'm reading their autobiographies. I'm learning about their line of thinking and what's brought them to prosperity as human beings. Yes, in the world of professional wrestling or sports entertainment or what have you. But how did they navigate it? How did, what kind of interpersonal skills did they end up developing to become friends with the boss, make the connections in the right areas? Learn how to respect people in the way that they should be respected. Something that rings true in both professional wrestling and jiu-jitsu or in martial arts in general is when you walk in that door and you're in a new place, you shake everyone's hand. That's right. Yeah. You walk on the mats in a, in a new jiu-jitsu academy, mm -hmm. you take the time out to shake everyone's hand. And you do the same thing in a professional wrestling locker room. Definitely. From what I've heard. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, and at the same time, if, if someone's just had a match... Uh, in jiu-jitsu uh, whether I've been coaching them or not 
they often will come to me and say, hey, you know, in that spot, what do you think I should have done there? Like, yeah. is there, do you have any advice mm-hmm. for me? Coming to the people who are your seniors and coming to the people who have walked in those shoes and legitimately asking for feedback and advice is another form of respect. Yeah. And that's something that is huge in the world of professional wrestling as well, from what I've read. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, sure. And the reason I make those uh, clarifications as well is because... I'm trying to show respect. I don't want to speak out of turn. I am a person who has not been involved in the industry. I'm a fan of the industry, but I cannot profess to have walked in your shoes. So in my own way, I try and show that respect as well. Um, but that's something that we both, uh, we both learned Definitely. over the years. Do, do you feel that's a true statement? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, you know, with wrestling as well, it's, it's such a, we're, we're holding our, our opponents lives in our hands yeah. we really are there's been there's been so many instances where someone uh, perhaps didn't didn't have the right attitude and you know catastrophic injury occurred and it's I think for me I'm very lucky in that I came up when it was still like a little bit dark ages with wrestling you kind of had to find your own way whereas now it is a lot easier to find your way because a lot of people helping yeah. out a lot more mentors but I think um, coming up in that era ultimately taught me a lot of respect and discipline because uh, that was your your say your opponent's safety was everything, um, and that's why the tryouts were so tough. That's yeah. why it was so exclusive because if we couldn't trust that you would have the right attitude, uh, physical fitness, the right. Um, you know, just mental strength mm. to get through the harshness of a pro wrestling match and keep keep us safe, then we couldn't trust that you could, you know, be one of us. Yeah, something I spoke to Tom about, Tommy Guy, Tom Collar, good friend of mine. Yeah. It was like, uh, I watched him get stronger. And he was already a strong kid. You know, he was already a very naturally strong kid. And I watched him get stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm looking at his dead deadlift numbers going up and up and up. Like, wow, like... Where is this coming from? What is this motivation? He's like, it's coming from the guy standing right next to me. Not because he's yelling at me, yeah. but because I want him to be okay. I yeah. know that the stronger I am, the more well-conditioned I am, the better physical shape I'm in. It's not, it's not just for aesthetics. I'm doing this for the safety of the people that I care about and have put so much time into me. So every 10 more kilos I put on that dead, that's 10 more kilos of that guy's going to be safe when I catch him. Absolutely. I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah, man. What a good answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, I got a lot of respect for Tom, man. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm sure at a time he probably would have looked up to me in, in another dimension, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? In another world. But now I'm solidly looking up to him and what he's sure. been able to achieve. Definitely. Well, man, Tommy Knight, tonight, looking forward to it. What else on the show are you looking forward to? Uh, Man, I I saw the the main event, Mm. History and Joey Graham. I saw that, uh, when was that, a year ago or so? I ended up seeing his footage. I'm always keeping up to date with what they're doing over here, even though I'm not here very often anymore. But uh, um, Istria is someone who I think has thrived being in the position he's in, Mm. where a lot of us moved away and he was forced to be the you know the top dog he was forced to become not forced but you know he became the head coach you <laughs> yeah. know opportunity arose and he took it um and he's someone who has thrived in that in that pressure field uh joey graham is someone who was around for the longest time but perhaps didn't get the appreciation because he never traveled didn't travel a lot so he was this 
Adelaide gem who never really went elsewhere. So I feel like he doesn't get the props he deserves. Um, and I just think those two uh, in the big rematch to what I think was matched the year previously, I, I'm, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm, I'm glad I'm not going on last. Actually, <laughs> I, mean, I can like just get changed and just watch those two guys smash each other. Istria, man. I got a lot of respect for Istria. Yeah. I, re I really do. From the Queenslander to where he is right now, yeah. it was pretty cool to like to get him in here with Tom and just sit them down and, and shoot the shit and talk wrestling and sure. talk jiu-jitsu. Like I've spent time on the mats with him as well in a jiu-jitsu and grappling context. And I just consider myself lucky, to be honest with you. I consider myself lucky to be in that position where people would listen to me about stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I have no idea why to this sure. day. I still don't get it. But yeah, he's probably going to have to stop calling me out for matches at some point. Well, time. I was going to say... Well, my question to you is, oh, when God. do you make your debut? Oh. <laughs> uh, my, you ask, ask my neck that question. No, I, I don't know, man. Like, okay, so... Ah, uh, yeah. Istria, right? Uh, I have to cut a promo on Istria. Yeah. So Istria, I think he's likely got it a little bit twisted. Right. Like, I, I've thought about having a match with Istria in the past. And I think for him, he probably feels like my technical skills in the area of jiu-jitsu and the years that I've put into it, him having a match with me would validate all of his skills, sure. all of the time and all of the expertise that he has. I mean, he's an incredible competitor, unhinged, albeit unhinged. But I think, I think he's misunderstood me to a certain extent. I think that... I understand things about him that he doesn't understand about me. He likely sees me as what I am now. The technical guy, the strategist, the analyst, the guy who sort of turned over a new leaf, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I keep coming back to is how, how does Ash beat me? Yeah, yeah. Theoretically, hypothetically, maybe, but functionally, how does Ash, how does he beat me? Because, we're, you know, we can come together and we can start trading holds and we can be technical and, and we can go down that route. But when he's found wanting and all of his years of expertise don't overcome mine, where does that leave him? Where does that leave him? I know where it leaves him. I know where it leaves him. I know what he's going to do. He's going to perform the most underhanded and black-hearted <laughs> shit he can possibly do to overcome me. And he, herein lies the issue, like... That's where he's got it twisted. Like he thinks that I'm the technical guy that turned over the new leaf, but that's not where I began. Mm -hmm. That's not who I always was. And when he aims to reach to those depths to pull out what he wants to pull out to, what he thinks he needs to, when he sinks that low, he doesn't realize that that's where I came from. He thinks that's his advantage. So when he stares into that abyss, he's going to see me staring back and he's going to be one very surprised AJ Istria. So the, that question that I keep going back to in my mind, I'm like, how does Ash Istria beat me? He doesn't. It's pretty simple. I need to see this match. <laughs> Sign it up. Let's go. Well, one day he's going to have to come to that realization for himself. I'm Hell sure yeah. it will happen. I'm sure it will Hell happen. Yeah, man. Yeah.
We need a water boy. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I think, given the shit that I just said, I'm going to need more than a water boy. Do you have first aid training or any kind I do, of? Actually. Oh, thank you very yeah. much. I'm going to sign me up. Ah, uh, man. Well, look, we've been shooting the shit for about an hour and a half now, man. Mm-hmm. And whenever people come onto the podcast, you know, I this is just one big excuse for me to talk to people I like <laughs> and tell them good things about them. So I put you over as much as I possibly can at the beginning of the podcast, but I got to tell you, man, I mean absolutely everything that I say. And the fact that you agreed to come in here and, and chat to me, was, that was huge for me, man. I really appreciate it because... I hold you in a very high regard. I have a thank lot you. of respect for you. So thank you very much for coming. No, thank you, man. Before we go, is there anyone you'd like to thank? Oh, man. There's too many people. I yeah, I know. I figured that would be right. <laughs> you kind of did a bit of it, but yeah. like, just pick a two. <laughs> I, I, I've thanked a lot of people over the years. Um, if, I, if I was going to thank two, I would have to... I would have to thank everyone I ever step into the ring with because, you know, they're, they're allowing me to... Uh, to express myself, to, to do the things I believe in. Uh, and a lot of the time that does involve a lot of trust um, in the vision that I have for, for pro wrestling. So, yeah, I, I can't thank my, uh, my training partners and my opponents enough for that. Um, on top of that, my wife, of course. I have to, otherwise, if I get home, those locks are going to be changed. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but she's incredible. She, um, she's actually involved in the wrestling industry, not as a wrestler, although she's undefeated. Although she, even though she uh, never, she wasn't trained when she wrestled. It was okay. A little bit of a um, story-driven little contest. <laughs> so she is undefeated, one and zero. Uh, but she's not not into the physical side. But she's always been involved in it. So she understands the sacrifices that need yeah. to be made, and she's supported every step along the way. Um, and I know how hard it can be to not have that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can't can't thank her enough. She's. Uh, she keeps me going for sure. Yeah, you're a good man for that. You're a good man. But I'm sure she appreciates the their acknowledgement. And she will listen to this though. <laughs> okay. She'll be waiting for that one. So <laughs> <laughs> you waited right to the end. <laughs> he had to ask you who you were going to thank before you thanked me. Yeah. All right, thank you so much, man. Thanks, I really man. appreciate it. Appreciate it. Please stay tuned. We're going to be back same bat time, same bat channel for all the bat fans out there.